This is a Pain Information Network, Episode 9. Welcome back. Uh, this is a really fun topic for me, and I like talking about today's topic. It sounds funny, but it's a neat thing. It's called epidemiology. Epidemiology is a study of factors and things that determine and influence a pattern of some type of disease or a condition in population. And why it's important is, you know, we go back to the first episode, you know, we have these rules. Well, rule three is if you don't believe in a disease or you think it's entirely psychosomatic, you can't treat it well. So it's sometimes incumbent upon the medical community to look at a symptom or a group of symptoms and say, is this a disease or is this a syndrome, just a group of problems coming together? The typical example that comes to mind would be like fibromyalgia. And in, in trying to put it together, understanding the impact of not only people's, people's lives, but uh, the lives of people around them, the financial impact, the life impact, job, family, and coming up with some way of measuring where we are now and where we're going to be in the future. Because let's face it, pain is perfect misery, the worst of evils and excessive overturns of all patients. That was John Milton in Paradise Lost. So uh, let's get into the weeds here. Okay. An introduction to the cluttered mind of the physician and the filter that helps us get through all the the background noise is this process of understanding the numbers. The numbers presented through an epidemi- epidemiologic assessment, the numbers that that matter to people over time. Each disease has a why, how, and a who. Epidemiology helps us figure out why how, and who gets it. It also helps us understand the cost and impact to society. Also, we we can expand out and start looking at specific diseases and what is possibly the best, most cost-effective, and uh, least impactful uh, to the patient um, uh, in, in the proper pathway where we can get to the result we want in the most expeditious way. All right. We're also going to talk today a little bit about arthritis. I'm just going to touch on arthritis. I'm going to apply some of this stuff today to to show you how the cluttered mind of a physician filters down to get to where they need to be to treat you. And that's a process, process of the differential diagnosis. And that'll be our third uh, topic we're going to touch on today as well. So you're going to kind of see under the hood and what makes sense to us as we step in to the world of pain and try to figure it out, to try to help you, to try to get to a good, positive outcome for all involved. Because your your body's like a medical search engine. It It, it is not Google, but it's like a medical search engine. We, we have to take the pieces that we have, put them together, put them together quickly, and have a number of choices that we can uh, determine where to go next. So, all right, let's start with kind of some of the basic stuff. The healthcare spending in uh, America, and I'm speaking in America, is high. It's going to be 20% uh, probably within the next few years of the gross domestic product. That's a big number. The prevalence of chronic illness is projected to increase 133 million purses, persons um, over the next few years. 
Um, and it's probably going to be closer to about 180 by 2030. So it's not going down, it's going up. So it's a major health care burden. And more than a quarter of Americans suffer chronic daily pain. So the cost is in the billions and billions of millions of dollars. Estimated around $100 billion to the American system. And the productivity, you can't even measure that, but it's been felt to be close to around $60 billion. That's that's a, a, a huge number that might be able to be controlled or improved. So how often you're in pain depends on many things. So there's healthcare economics involved. Um, patients who have um, more burdens on them, let's say they, they work in uh, laborious positions, are obviously going to have more pain. People that are sedentary develop more pain syndromes. Smokers, I mean, we could go right down the list. So these modifiable features in your health profile, where they exist, if they can be improved, you can improve your overall outcome. You can help the epidemiology of the big picture of pain improve to some degree your little corner of the world. So, all right, they surveyed uh, 4,000 patients, and they monitored uh, their diary for a 24-hour pain and activity. Uh, socialization, spouse, friend, family, whomever, um, was highly impacted by pain. We know that. I like to tell my patients, get out and socialize. Even if you have to go to the mall and sit there and stare at the wall, uh, get out to the zoo, um, go to the YMCA, socialize. Pain patients work less, about 15% less. And so that enrichment was somewhat lost. And that's more of a uh, a psychological burden that I think is really uh, acknowledged. And pain uh, folks, uh, the, the ones that uh, fall into um, this chronic daily pain, they watched a lot of TV. <laughs> and it's been estimated that uh, there's about 25% more than uh, a normal active individual who does not suffer from chronic pain. All right, so neck and back pain, that's a huge number. It's about $85 billion. And so we're getting more surgery, MRIs, injections, medications. And it's uh, it's up quite a bit from 1997. It's jumped from about $4,500 uh, per person to about uh, $6,100. Um, so 15% of the population is complaining of back pain at any given time. And... Uh, it's up from about 12%. So it's not going down. It's going up. Despite our surgeries and our highly sophisticated interventions, the population is aging. We can't help that. And it is going up. Men and women are equally uh, likely to be in pain. That gender difference is not necessarily there. Um, and people, of course, when they get older, they they complain of more aches and pain. Kind of levels out between 45 and 75 because that might be where people reach their career ladder, ladder uh, at the pinnacle, the, the desk job, or they just learn how to cope with the pain. Pain medications, well, we spend about $2.5 billion a year on over-the-counter pain medications, and that's growing, and about $14 billion on outpatient analgesics, and that's growing as well. And we can't... Uh, our, our military, we, we can't thank them enough. Um, they're coming back with some pretty substantial and devastating injuries and illnesses that in a young individual is going to be with us for many, many years. We have to acknowledge them. 
uh, think of them and thank them. The burden of pain, well, 28% feel that there is no solution for their pain, and less than half of these patients feel their doctor completely understands how their pain makes them feel or understands how it impacts their life. One-third of chronic pain patients report that they receive little or no relief from any therapies. It's from the Journal of Pain Symptom Management. The prevalence of pain, well, 4 of 10, roughly uh, 42% of American adults say they experience pain daily. More than half are over uh, 65, and it's projected that uh, uh, at least 83 million Americans will report pain interferes with their activities rarely, and I mean um, uh, regularly. Uh, rarely do we see these people say that uh, it was simple for me to just get over it. And even though it couldn't be uh, seen, you can't touch, you can't feel it, you just can't really measure it, uh, it's there. And it's a very personal, subjective interpretation, and it's hard to verbalize. Many individuals have a hard time scripting out to their physician in that few minutes they get, and it it just comes out wrong. I strongly urge people to write down bullet points, this, 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 and this. It's not a good idea for long sentences and to be telling us how your pain moves and migrates. It's a good idea to have a script and and take advantage of every second you get. We try to give everybody as much time as we can. But that really helps us. About two-thirds uh, see a doctor only when they cannot stand pain any longer. And this is from the Arthritis Foundation. People are sitting out there, um, and, and they're hurting. Uh, despite this high prevalence of pain, only about half uh, visit a doctor uh, in the past three years to try to get a solution for their pain. So uh, there is the shut-ins, and there is those that suffer from pain unnecessarily, probably, they can be helped to to a full degree, I don't know, to a limited degree, oh yeah, probably. We can find somewhere in that great rainbow uh, some type of relief. All right, pain is a chief complaint in 40% of primary care visits. That's the most common complaint for primary care doctors to hear. You think they would embrace pain. Well, tell me about your pain. It would be as important to ask as, uh, do you smoke? Um, are you uh, uh, eating well? Are you socializing? Are you drinking too much? And, and going through the questions they normally go through, but pain is not really one of them. It's getting a little better. But in primary care practices, uh, 14% require, require pain medications and treatment, at least um, some rudimentary treatment. And at least um, 6 to 10% report a high level of disability. But most physicians are uncomfortable prescribing pain medications. This is a direct survey from primary care physicians by Potter. Uh, 41% of physicians waited for the patients to initiate the request for pain medication, and only 15% of physicians enjoyed treating pain patients. So there's rule three. If you don't believe in the disease or you don't think you can treat it effectively, you've got to refer it out. But don't forget the diagnosis, and pain is a description. So let's put a little on you, too. Make the description understood by us in your words as best you can. Bad idea to go to the Internet. And, and remember, your, your body is not Google. Um, the uh, 
horrendous amount of junk on the internet uh, can't be ignored. We have to hear it in genuine, organic uh, conversation from you. We love that. So work, yeah, it's affected uh, a total of uh, 52% uh, uh, of the workforce force, uh, in the past, lost about uh, uh, one to two weeks and over a period of uh, uh, two to five years, and a total of 1% was absent from work one or more days a week, and headaches pretty much uh, led the way. But other musculoskeletal complaints, particularly arthritis, interferes with uh, simple activities, uh, com- how- household activities, um, work-related activities, and is affecting at least five hours a week. All right, so this is the thing, and we've touched on this. Low back pain goes away on its own, right? Um, well, they took uh, 463 new low back pain patients that presented to a primary care office. And Croft et al., um, uh, in the British Medical Journal, uh, then followed him. 32% made a return appointment after three months. So only about a third made a return appointment. Only 8% made their return appointment after 12 months. Well, what's the natural conclusion? Uh, the I think it therefore it is philosophy says that, okay, the pain's gone. But if you take it a little further you d- and dig a little deeper, you know, the telephone interview said it all. Only 21% reported resolution of pain by three months. Only 25% by 12 months. 73% still had difficulties with activities of daily living. And 50% still had difficulties uh, with their pain at three and 12 months. So although patients did not return for follow-up, 75% still had pain and disability after 12 months. So there you have it. It pretty much says it all. That's what I'm talking about, how important this, this stuff is to look at. I think it, therefore, it is uh, philosophy. Um, it just doesn't work. So the prevalence of low back pain, all right, in children is pretty low. We know that. And it increases rapidly in adolescence, about 18 to 50%. And it peaks around the sixth decade of life. So it should be something we're having a conversation about. Because it isn't all about the disc. Uh, it isn't about the uh, co- most common structure people know in the spine. Oh, I've got a disc problem. It, it isn't always about that. It could also be coming from the sacral joint, from the facets or the joints in your back, the little knuckles in your back, so to speak. Um, it could be coming from some of the surrounding structures that are uh, inflammatory in nature. Uh, soft tissues come from so many things. Um, people are uh, reluctant to talk about things that they don't clearly understand. And uh, last week I put some uh, more information about this up on paininformation.com. Go take a look. I'm going to start explaining the spine as best I can, and I'll get some pictures up to help understand the structures of the spine, especially how they can hurt and the patterns where they hurt and why it's so important to tell the doctor succinctly what is the pattern of your leg pain. What is the pattern of your back pain? When does it come? When does it go away? What does rest do? What has made it worse? Are you taking more medicines? Are you taking medicines that I don't know about? Natural um, remedies can be a real problem. Talk to an anesthesiologist about St. John's warts or wart, whatever it's called. Prevalence of neck pain. Well, the neck uh, is supporting a about an 11-pound ball, whereas your low back is uh, obviously a, a strong weight-bearing uh, load. 
and it's going to it's going to break down and it's going to get arthritic faster particularly if we have a little trouble with our with our weight every pound counts every pound or if we smoke or if we have um problems with the structural um uh issues that we didn't always want but we inherited uh, neck pain occurs about half as often, uh, but it affects 10% of the general population. And older patients, particularly smokers, those involved in uh, mentally difficult or physically stressful jobs um, are more likely to have neck pain. It does not appear that cervical disc de- degeneration is a brief self-limited disorder, but it's probably a chronic disease problem. Um, it can lead to significant uh, incapacity over time. And uh, it's uh, a leading cause of uh, spinal-related disability. All right, let's get into osteoarthritis as as promised. Um, Osteoarthritis affects 16% of the U.S. population. That's 43 million people. Um, It's growing. Rheumatoid arthritis is uh, uh, really uh, a, a very tough problem. And thank goodness we're making some movement forward with biologics or some of these new uh, drugs that the rheumatologists can give us um, to decrease the uh, destructive inflammatory component. It's uh, generally uh, over 45 years old, women greater than men, uh, particularly after age 60. That's from the CDC. And by 2020, uh, about 20 percent of Americans will be affected. So, you know, that's 60, 70 million people. Um, That is uh, uh, enough to say that it's probably one of the leading uh, problems that uh, affects us across the board. So when we talk about arthritis, we talk about arthritis of the spine. Yeah, it's a bony structure. It it has inflammatory components. It has uh, articular surfaces or the facets, the disc. We we know that. and uh, and the sacral joint as well. So, what is the structure we can we can hone in on? Is it the knee? Is it the wrist? Is it uh, something that um, is so profoundly uh, problematic for the individual that just helping that one region is 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 the starter? Okay, that's the why of the starter. And so, when you come to talk to your physician, try to prioritize where you hurt. Because I know, and uh, virtually anybody that treats uh, uh, people out there in this great world we live in, um, pain moves around. It's migratory. It's uh, around your shoulder one day. It might be your low back. And, oh, my gosh, and it's over here now, and it's in my hip. That is a... um, normal problem um pain has a way of being migratory that does not necessarily mean that there's a major problem or uh the dreaded google search do i have cancer of course not i mean common things happen commonly another thing that uh, i want to de-emphasize although i know it's it's hard to wrap your arms around this surface anatomy doesn't always matter I have a I have a lump here on uh this must be a muscle spasm and um oh I have to get this rubbed out and well yeah you know your physician needs to know about surface anatomy changes we need to know that um but it's usually not as much of a problem as you might think so uh 
So musculoskeletal problems, myofascial pain syndromes is kind of vague term, myofascial, um, is the number one cause of disability in the United States. And 80% of patients greater than 65 have some evidence of that, usually by radiographic um, identification, that's x-rays. And uh, rheumatoid arthritis in age 40 to 60 is is 1% to 2% of the population. That's a lot. Now, you have to put in this thing called a differential diagnosis. And we open up by saying that the differential diagnosis is the medical search engine of what you are, but your body is in Google. And the differential diagnosis is what good doctors um, run through the filter uh, from the cluttered mind when they see you. I have these symptoms, doctor. Bullet, 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 bullet. It's usually here. I notice it here, here, and here. It's associated with uh, me unable to get moving in the morning without taking uh, an analgesic such as ibuprofen. It's made worse by it improves with. And we'll try to figure that all that out. Now, when we hear things like abrupt or uh, I, I, I felt electric uh, shock down my leg or we hear something like um, I turned my head and I got the worst headache I've had in a year. We want to know we want to know those triggers and we want to know those comments. We can't rule out the big stuff, and that's our our important objective is to make sure in this differential diagnosis, this list of possibilities, we don't miss something. Because some tumors, for example, osteosarcoma or chondrosarcoma or Ewing sarcoma, um, they, they sometimes are the great mimickers. And so when I urge folks to spend a minute writing things down this helps. all right joint anatomy okay uh there's tendons there's bursa small little uh, almost like sacs there's muscles around there the bone is around there there's this membrane called a synovial membrane and a little bit of fluid it's kind of like oil synovial fluid and a uh uh a joint capsule. Um, we also have this important stuff called uh, cartilage. And over years, the cartilage um, can be lost as the process of osteoarthritis. Now, with thinning cartilage, uh, we have pain. But with rheumatoid arthritis, different than osteoarthritis, we get inflamed uh, synovial membranes, and it starts to break down. So in rheumatoid arthritis, in in late stages, you might look at somebody's hand, and you'll see this boutonniere deformity of the thumb. Your thumb is kind of um, uh, pulled back, and ulnar deviation or or deviation of the uh, joints in the fingers makes it look like a swan's neck. it, it presents usually with swelling, morning stiffness, uh, these characteristic findings, and often the rheumatologist will take an x-ray of the hand to help with diagnosis. So the criteria are morning stiffness over an hour, three or more joints uh, that are affected. You can start getting these nodules. Here, surface anatomy counts. That's what the physician needs to hear. Look, look, look what's coming up here. You do a blood test, and you see rheumatoid factors, and then you get those x-rays and see um, 
erosions and, and uh, decalcifications. When we want to do something about this um, as a eventual segue into regenerative medicine, we want to consider the different types of joints that we can inject, knee, hip, glenerohumeral, um, uh, the chromioclavicular, elbow, carpal, uh, uh, wrist region, the metacarpal, tarsal, that's a foot, and ankle. And we can do these joint x-rays uh, injections under ultrasound or uh, fluoroscopic uh, imaging like x-rays. And usually we can get, get the needle right where we need to go, which is important. And we need to sometimes see the pathology. So um, if we can find out where we hurt, sometimes we can avoid joint replacement. We have some newer technologies, and I'm going to have uh, uh, some folks talk about radiofrequency uh, lesioning of the knee, uh, creating uh, a pathway where we isolate, identify the nerves around the knee, and then uh, uh, put heat around some of those nuisance nerves. We can also do that to the hip to a limited degree. Okay, now, that's our run-through uh, epidemiology and applied it to the hip and introduced you to uh, the concept of differential diagnosis. Um, and so uh, next, I want to apply it to the sacral joint, or where your hip bone comes to your, uh, comes to your uh, spine, and talk for a, just a minute about sacral joint injections and what they mean. Okay, let's apply uh, what we just learned to uh, the sacral joint, a common pain uh, generator. We're going to apply the why, how, and who uh, to the sacral joint. We're going to come up with a, a way that we might not only diagnose but treat sacral joint pain, a very common pain, a buttocks pain. Sometimes it goes down the back of the thigh to the lateral calf very rarely, but usually above the knee. It's 15 to 30% of all chronic back pain. And before these surgeons, Mexter and Barr, they're two guys, um, in the 30s uh, defined that pain can come from more than just the sacral joint. The sacral joint was thought to be one of the most common uh, back pain generators. It has specific nerves that go to it. You can hurt it from trauma. Uh, imagine a seat belt and a uh, uh, rapid de uh, deceleration uh, process of arthritis, which we just talked about, or it can it can be infected. Now, people think that if you're pressing over the back in this little area called the PSIS or posterior superior iliac spine, that's the sacral joint. That is not the sacral joint. That is a area uh, that has a lot of nerves, and yes, it's painful, but it's not the sacral joint. It tends to be on one side more than the other, and it mimics hip pain. Uh, there's these bedside tests, uh, Faber, Gainsley, it's a compression test. There's all these t tests that we can do at the bedside, but they don't tend to be that uh, accurate. The most accurate way to diagnose some of the back structures, like the facet, like the disc, or the sacral joint, is to actually uh, go to it and put a needle there and numb it up. Um, or in the case of the disc, put some pressure in it. The radiologic studies don't really help us. X-rays really don't help us. Um, physical therapy, well, if somebody's really hurting 
and their back is hurting uh, in the early stages of uh, an injury or a strain. Uh, physical therapy is, is fine uh, in many cases, but then again, sometimes it, it just plain makes people hurt. And then they're leery to go get more physical therapy later. I like to think that we can get some anti-inflammatory in there, get it diagnosed real clearly, get people settled down, and they'll have a more uh, enriched experience with physical therapy. This is a really uh, common pain problem after somebody's had a fusion. There's added biomechanical stress above and below the surgical fixation site because you, you have a fusion there, and some of those bottom segments in your spine just don't want to move and the sacral joint is taking the brunt of the uh, activity there. Well, uh, it's more common in females. It has to do with hormonal influences in the shape of the pelvis. Uh, and it's more common after age 30, unless you're in a car wreck. It's a significant source of pain. And uh, if the bottom part of your uh, spine is fused, you should really talk to somebody about uh, the sacral joint if you're having uh, persistent pain in the low back and uh, buttocks region. It's a true joint, especially the bottom third. It really is a joint. Um, and that's our target uh, when we uh, want to go in there and isolate it and get medicine in there. It's located between two bones in your back, the sacrum and the ilium. And uh, it's, uh, it's at an angle. Um, it's uh, at an angle, so you have to accommodate the angle when you're doing the injection. So this injection has to be done under floor. I actually did a study um, where I took my experienced hands and put the needle in uh, where I thought it would be best positioned to get into the sacral joint. And then I took a fluoroscopic image or an x-ray image. And I wasn't in there very often, hardly at all. Now, of course, it was nowhere close to any vital structures, but the point is a lot of folks do these blindly and they aren't getting in the sacral joint. So be sure if somebody suggests to have this injected, it's done under x-ray guidance. All right, so uh, that that pretty much describes the, the sacral joint, but what do we do with it? Well, we can not only diagnose the pain, but we can uh, sometimes uh, treat the pain very effectively, not only with medications, but we can, again, uh, put these special needles in called radiofrequency uh, uh, thermoablation needles and actually cauterize little sensory tissues. The surface of the sacral joint where it comes together is like the surface of the moon. It, it's important. It's an important joint, but it's also so richly innervated or has so many nerves that it's hard to deaden up. Uh, but it is a very, very good consideration in that uh, differential diagnosis of uh, low back pain. And it should be addressed in the above-mentioned uh, uh, scenarios, especially fusion. Well, that's about going to do it for today's episode, but... Uh, please visit us at paininformation.com and leave suggestions for future uh, episodes and also leave suggestions for what you want to see on the on the website um, remember this is this is an informative network you um, take this information and discuss it with a qualified professional um, you you should uh, uh, 
never self-diagnose, and you should talk it over with an individual who has a good background and understanding of uh, uh, these type of problems um, or ask to be referred to one. Um, and please uh, 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 go to iTunes and leave us a review. We really appreciate it. That helps us rank. Well, thanks again for visiting us, and uh, we'll see you next week.